So uh, this morning is the start to the guest preacher series, guest sermon series. And so uh, this morning we have Dr. John Helbeston, but more commonly known as John. Uh, and as I found this this morning, PJ um, for Papa John, but also Pastor John. So pretty efficient there and useful. And so not the pizza guy. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. And in that case, so uh, also the last name of Dim Getaway, he is also the father to one of our elders, Jason Helveston. So, um, but yeah, John has been in ministry for uh, over four decades, and his wife, Lucy, and him live in their hometown of Laurel, Mississippi. Lucy Helveston back there, say hello. Um, yeah, woo! One week before Mother's Day, let's, who cares, right? Um, and so he also works in international Baptist churches, serving as an interim, uh, as interim leadership around the world. And so more importantly, obviously for us right now, we're grateful to have him here to serve uh, the body through just the preaching of the word in Matthew. Um, grateful to be able to not only have elders at our church that preach the word, but also be able to have other folks from the body of Christ um, come in and just bless us with preaching of the word. So um, he will be preaching today for us. And Pastor John, thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Aaron. Good morning, everybody. Too loud? Am I good? I want to begin because this is the main thing I want to say to you. Thank you to this wonderful church. Uh, yes, for your welcome uh, to me and to Lucy, but more importantly for, uh, for taking care of our son. We're going to talk about rest in just a moment, and uh, the need for rest you recognize you know, is not only very significant, I, I think you may know it's fairly epidemic in the body of Christ, you know, particularly among elders. You know, as Aaron, um, or, and pastors, as Aaron mentioned, we've been in a variety of churches, but let me just tell you, just this last stint, we were in Germany, we're in Frankfurt. Uh, for almost a year. And while we were there, four pastors that we know of in our churches resigned for burnout. Four. And uh, I don't know very much about those churches, but I believe if the congregation like you, you know, had perhaps uh, had more of a conviction and more of a sensitivity about the need to rest, particularly post-COVID, uh, you know, perhaps that wouldn't have been the only option that those pastors saw. So let me just say a big thank you. And then let me just say that uh, I, our hearts are, are full being here. Uh, yes, you're welcome and you're greeting. I've got to, to speak to several of you and have been encouraged by that. But uh, by the way, I'm hearing a ringing here. Can we bring that down? Or is that my tinnitus? from too many years in a garage band. Yo, Paul, are, are you with me? And, uh, you know, thank you, that's much better. Of course, being with our grandchildren. By the way, I, I love to be known as Jason's dad and as any one of our grandchildren's. You know, this is fill-in-the-blank grandfather. So we've been overwhelmed with that. And, and to, you know, just you know, the, the icing on the cake, the first night we were there, they ordered Giordano's pizza. And uh, I can't mention Giordano's Pizza without telling you one of my favorite Chicago stories, uh, okay? Is that, is that okay to go off script you know, for a minute? Jason and I were actually attending together uh, the Moody uh, Bible Institute Pastors Conference. 
you know, some years ago, and Jason hadn't lived in Chicago, and, and neither had I, so we didn't know our way around, and we had some free time and wanted to go to the, um, back then it was the Sears Tower, I'm not sure what it's called now, and uh, and you know how it is, you know, if you're 10 miles away, you see it fine. But if you're in the city, you don't see it. So we stopped a guy on the street and said, can you tell us how to get? Oh, yeah, you know, go down here, turn here. Okay, thank you very much. So we had our, and he said, hey, you know, can you give me a few bucks for lunch? You know, and I don't know, I guess I was thinking about, you know, how we always try to think, what's the best thing I can do right now? But before I could think, you know, Jason said, you know what? We've just been to Giordano's and we only ate half the pizza. We're glad to give you the rest of this pizza. You know, so go and, and enjoy. Well, I picked up immediately that this guy wasn't happy with that. Kind of turned up his nose and his eyebrows. And uh, when I was already thinking, Jason, you're not giving away this pizza. You know? <laughs> So when he wasn't happy about it, I whipped out, you know, a ten, I said, here's $10 if you give us the pizza back. You know. <laughs> True story. And he did. And uh, so that story had a good ending. <laughs> so we're delighted to be back in Chicago. And uh, Jason and Laura often tell us about you and your kindness to them and what a privilege it is for them to serve this church. And what a privilege for me to be here with you. Also, you know, I have to welcome, oh, I was going to give you a little round the world tour. You know, Laurel, Mississippi, any HGTV, you know, fans? Okay, thank you. Ben and Aaron Napier, okay, you know, okay. Our little hometown, 17,000 people, is if you are an HGTV person, you know, our little hometown is quite famous now, isn't it? You know, so please uh, tune in to HGTV. It's called Hometown. And, uh, and we'd be delighted, actually, and this is for real, just don't all come at the same time, but we would love to host you yeah, in, in Laurel, Mississippi. Yeah, we can handle up to, what, a dozen, Lucy? And uh, so we'd love to have you there. So Lucy and I met, or, or rather, we were in kindergarten together. You know, our, she was in the four-year-old group, and I was in the five. I was an upperclassman, so I didn't really know and hang out with those people. Yeah. And, uh, but our parents were friends, so they told us about it. You know, grew up, went to school together all through college, and uh, after seminary in Denver, the same one that Jason attended 30 years later, First church was in Florida, then Galesburg, Illinois. Anybody? Galesburg? Close to the Quad Cities? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, was that a clap for the Quad Cities? Is it, okay, Moline, Davenport, Moline. Okay, got it in one. Okay, John Deere tractor. Okay, and uh, so after that, that's when, and I know you've heard about Jason's experience in the Philippines. After the Philippines, 25 years in uh, San Jose, California. That's really where our children grew up and where we met Jessica De La Paz, who is here sitting by Lucy. Would y'all all welcome Jessica today? <laughs> when, I always did a children's story, you know, for the kids right before the message. And when I first knew Jessica, she was one of the ones that would come down and sit on the floor and have a few minutes with, with PJ, with Pastor John, and then uh, her brothers as well. Uh, since then, as Aaron mentioned, we've been doing uh, transitional pastor work overseas in uh, international Baptist churches. So far, we've been in Panama, and we've been in three churches in Germany, and uh, one church in um, Vienna, Austria. 
And so finally, we're back here. And finally, after three years, we get to come back and spend this time with you. But I mentioned early on, rest is so vital and so important. When I arrived in Frankfurt, uh, the first week I was there, and I asked them about the church and, and what were some of the needs as I was thinking through what I might preach on. I said, could, could you preach on rest? And then when Jason asked me to speak, I gave him two or three ideas that I might be you know, thinking about you know, as I came. And he said immediately, the one on rest. So my prayer today is that all of us will come away with a better handle on Jesus' answer to rest, what he calls Rest for your souls. So let's open the word of God together. By the way, uh, for those of you who um, have been in this church quite a while, you haven't been in any other churches, this is what we call sermon notes. And because I know you've never seen those, you know, with Jason. So, uh, <laughs> uh, let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are to have your word solid, completely inerrant and authoritative. How grateful we are that, yes, you call men and women to speak your word, but you, dear Holy Spirit, you are our teacher. And so we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart as you speak to us this morning. Teach us how to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. In a wonderfully helpful little book, it's called Running on Empty. Jill Briscoe, who she and her husband, you know, for many years lived in Milwaukee. I met someone from Milwaukee this morning, Liza. Yes. And uh, anyway, in this wonderful little book, Jill Briscoe says, occasionally my husband, Stuart, will wake up in the morning and say, I think she said, grunt, you know, something like this. I'm tired. I was born tired. I've lived tired. And I will probably die tired. Well, I think a lot of us can relate. And so that's why we look so forward to the weekend and to, and to getaways and to trips to the beach and to the mountains. Anything that will get us you know, what we so desperately need, rest. But inevitably, right, we, we have to come back. We have to come back to our routines. And, and how long is it? When we come back, how long is it then that we wake up in the morning and say something like, I'm tired, I've always been tired, I've lived tired, I'll probably die tired. Well, the reason, of course, is the kind of tired we're talking about is, well, it goes much deeper than physical or even mental fatigue. And so a few hours sleep or even a few days away, well, it might help, but it's not the answer. For a deeper kind of tired... We need a deeper kind of rest. Jesus' word for it is soul rest. Now, the phrase reminds me of a story that you may have heard of. I've heard a number of versions of it. I'm counting on the fact that you know, at least one of those versions is true. And, and the story goes like this. A century ago, European missionaries in Africa hired some local villagers to help carry their supplies to a station some 80 or 90 miles away. The missionaries were anxious to get there as quickly as possible, and so they set a pace much faster than the villagers were used to, a pace that seemed to increase every day. So on the fourth day, the missionaries got up early, and they're ready to, ready to go, and, but the workers were just sitting there. They wouldn't budge. They sat there leisurely by the fire. 
Well, one of the missionaries said, you know, what's wrong with you guys? And they said, we can't go any farther today. And he said, why not? You look fine to me. Everybody looks fine. Yes, said the worker, but we went so fast yesterday that today we must wait here for our souls to catch up with our bodies. Well, clearly the villagers understood more about soul rest than the missionaries. And here in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is going to explain, he's going to reveal even more. Here in what's been called the kindest verse in the Bible, he speaks of a rest that no vacation can give, a rest that makes a world of difference, and not just for a day or two, but for a lifetime, even for eternity. And a rest we may only find in him, in Jesus Let's look at the passage again, Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now notice before Jesus extends his call, his invitation for all who will come to receive soul rest, he presents his qualification. He lays out his credentials, his authority to make such an, such an audacious offer. All things, he says, have been handed over to me. All things by my Father. He will do the same thing. You'll remember after or just before he commands the disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. Before he gives what you and I know as the Great Commission, he announces all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. You know, Jesus isn't some clever promoter of a, of a Caribbean uh, resort or a cruise line promising uh, what they can't deliver relaxation, rejuvenation, restoration, rest, and just for a few thousand dollars. Jesus' offer is as solid as his unbreakable word. What he offers, he has full authority to give. You know, the Apostle Paul gives what I think in the New Testament is probably the most complete description of Jesus' authority in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 15, he says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In his thoughtful book called The Strength You Need, that my dear wife, Lucy, recommended to me. Robert Morgan explains why we must begin here with Jesus' authority. He says, we are strengthened in our faith as we are increasingly persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised. 
even if at the moment the tide of circumstances is flowing in the opposite direction. So what could be more marvelous? What could be more wonderful than Jesus' power, his absolute authority to offer rest for our souls? How about this? Not only is he qualified, not only is he able to give us the rest, he wants to do it. He longs to give it to us. And so in verse 28, of all the matchless words in Scripture that Jesus ever speaks, here we find one of the kindest. Come. When he called the disciples, that's what he said. Come, follow me. On one occasion, he rebuked the disciples, you remember, because the little children wanted to come and they wouldn't let them. He said, no, let the little children come. The apostle John says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come. Let him come to me and drink. And here, here in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, when I read that, my first thought is, well, that's everybody, right? Who isn't tired? Who isn't in, in some way burdened down? Who doesn't you know, at times feel as though they are under a load, a weight far too heavy for them? To bear right now in this moment, you may be thinking, no, probably you're all thinking about your own daily cares and burdens. That would be natural. Your own anxieties, worries about money, about work, about relationships, concerns about marriages and aging parents, you know, and children. For some of us, you know, a growing number of grandchildren, you know, pressure to keep on performing and achieving fears about the future. And yes, as we're going to see in a few minutes, Jesus' offer of rest extends to all of those daily pressures, all of those stresses, uh, those pressures that love to keep us up at night and faithfully greet us in the morning. They are faithful, aren't they? But to be true to the passage, to the scripture before us, we must see that Jesus' first thought, what is upmost in his mind as he invites us to come, is not rest from burdens, with an S on the end. It's rest from the burden, the burden of sin. In John Bunyan's great allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, when the main figure, Christian, sets out from the city of destruction on his way toward the celestial city, he carries on his back a great load of baggage that relentlessly burdens him until finally he lays it down at the cross. Well, that heavy baggage, of course, was his guilt. The crushing weight of guilt that we, we all bear until we come and receive the rest Jesus longs to give us. See here, Jesus' offer of rest is first and mainly nothing less than the offer of salvation. Full and free forgiveness of sin. Full and free because of Jesus' death on the cross. What theologians call substitutionary atonement. Jesus, the guiltless one, voluntarily dying for us instead of us, the guilty ones taking upon himself the weight of our sins so we may have forgiveness. And with that forgiveness, in that forgiveness, rest for our souls. Now we see, don't we, 
If we would be relieved, if we would be relieved of the unbearable burden of our sin, the real moral guilt that weighs upon us because of it, we must come. We must come to him. We must come to Jesus. Where else can we go with our guilt? Who else can take it away? Only Jesus is qualified. Only he has authority to give it to us this rest, only he can forgive our sin and to take away our guilt. And the wondrous news of the gospel is he longs to give it to us. He longs to give us rest for our souls. Now, I emphasize give because as bad, as heavy as the burden of guilt is by itself, it becomes 10 times worse if we believe we have to work our way out from under it, if we believe we have to earn it. This is the context This is the very culture into which Jesus is speaking when he says these words. The people's burden of guilt was made unbearable because of the mountain of rules their teachers heaped upon them. And with those teachers in mind, over in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says to the crowd and to the disciples, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move their finger to help them. You know, the message paraphrase says, instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading them on you like pack animals. Try to put yourself in their place for a moment. How liberating, how wondrous must it have been to hear Jesus say with all the authority of heaven and earth, no, forget that. They are self-deluded. Don't listen to their lies. Instead, come to me and I will give you rest. It's a gift. Jesus offers rest, lasting rest, soul rest, and he offers it as a gift. He has authority. To do it, he has provided for it by his death on the cross and he longs to give it. But what is our part? What must we do? How do we receive it? Already he said, hasn't he? Come, come to me. Now in verse 29, he further explains what it means, what it means to come to him with this heavy load of sin, with this burden of guilt. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, here we may be puzzled for a moment. Do you ever find yourself puzzled when you read a passage of Scripture? That doesn't compute right now. Let's think through it. We may be puzzled for a moment because in this single passage, we have both a paradox And what looks like, at least on the surface, a clear contradiction. The paradox is Jesus seems to be saying the way to find rest is to work. It's to take take on a yoke, to take on his yoke. The contradiction is, doesn't Jesus say at other times, if anyone comes after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me? Does that sound easy? Does that sound like a light burden? Well, again, back to John Bunyan's allegory. Christian's journey from the celestial city, or rather from the city of destruction to the celestial city, was intensely challenging. 
It was incredibly hard. His path took him down through the discouragement of the slew of despond, up the hill called difficult, through the valley of humiliation, into the temptation of vanity fair. Following Jesus in a sinful world is anything but easy. So Jesus talk of an easy yoke and a light burden. Well, it seems like an incredible contradiction. And, but as is so often true, if we step back for a minute, consider the context, it becomes clear. When you and I come to him by grace through faith, we become new creatures with a completely new identity and in a completely new relationship with God through Jesus. Before we were estranged. We were distant. The, the New Testament says we were enemies, separated from God by our sin. Now, through Jesus, we're brought near. We are welcomed. And I think my favorite description of who we are in Christ as adopted sons and daughters. Before, we were under the weight of condemnation. Now, we're redeemed and forgiven. Before, we were dead in transgressions and sin. Now, we're alive in him. We're alive in Christ. We have passed from death into life. We're no longer subject to God's wrath. We are subjects of the kingdom of God. And as subjects, we have entered his service. We have taken upon ourselves his yoke. But now you may say, okay, PJ, service. Well, that still sounds a lot like work. I thought this was about receiving a gift, and, and I suppose it does sound a lot like work, but, you know, there is a world of difference between serving sin and serving Jesus. There is a world of difference between slaving under the burden of guilt and serving under the yoke of grace. We know this from our own experience, don't we? Uh, we may do a job. We may do a task, we may do an act of service for a harsh, demeaning taskmaster. Some of you are saying, how does he know my boss? You know, you know, uh, we may do it, but we do it grudgingly. We do it joyously. At times we do it out of bitterness and we do it with the bare minimum of effort, or at least we're tempted to. And when we're done with that task, we try to get away from that person as quickly as possible before they ask anything more of us. But what if we're called to do the same job, the very same service for one who loves us and, and whom we love, a, a spouse, a parent, a, you know, a friend, a child, even a boss we love and admire and respect. Now we do it happily with all our heart, the very best we can. We're honored they asked us. Not somebody else, they asked us and they allowed us to serve. And when we're done, we said, is there anything else? You know, are, are you sure? We sometimes call it a labor of love. Uh, just a few years ago when our grandson Turner was six, I think, and his sister Allie was seven, uh, we were all swimming together and Allie is up on, on, the, uh, uh, on the rim of the pool and she, and she wants to jump, but she doesn't want to just jump in by herself. She wants her brother to do it with her. You know, I don't know why that was so important, but it was. And so she kept, you know, say, Turner, come on in and jump in with me. And Turner's out there. You know, he's our most laid back of all the grandchildren. And he's out there on a the float. You know, I think he had, you know, some lemonade in his hand or something. Yeah, give it a rest. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not. Well, she wouldn't give up. 
you know, and finally he said, okay, you know, so he paddles over and he climbs up, you know, out on the side of the pool and, you know, not to anyone in particular, he just says out loud and we were able to hear it, the things we do for Wub. <laughs> when we come to Jesus, when we find rest in him, when we take his yoke upon us and begin to learn of him, learn of his gentleness, learn of his love, his grace, his sacrifice. You know, then we begin at least a little bit, I think, to understand what Isaac Watts was thinking, feeling when he surveyed the wondrous cross and said, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When we begin to learn of him, of his love, of his grace, we begin to resonate with a more recent lyric that says, such a tiny offering compared to Calvary, nevertheless, I lay it at your feet. We begin maybe to grasp a little bit of what missionary C.T. Studd was feeling when he said, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, there is no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. So when Jesus speaks of when he offers rest, his first thought is the rest of salvation, of forgiveness, of redemption, of reconciliation. But as I hinted earlier, it extends to the rest we need from the daily burdens of life. Well, how does that work? Once you and I respond to Jesus' invitation to come and to receive his rest, his salvation, his forgiveness, now, as his followers, chosen, adopted, redeemed, children of God, now all his promises, all his assurances of the presence and power of God apply to us, they belong to us, they are ours. Assurances, for example, I'll just remind us of three. A place to take my daily cares and anxieties, a way to daily renew my strength, a peace that passes understanding, even perfect peace. Of course, having these assurances isn't enough. To know them, to experience the rest they are, I've got to learn to rely upon them, to be deliberate, to be intentional about it. As I came to Christ once for all for eternal rest, now I must learn to come to him daily to find rest for my soul now in each moment. I must choose, for example, the moment cares and worries begin to rush into my heart and mind, in that moment I must learn to cast them upon the Lord who cares for me. I must learn to wait upon the Lord if I would renew my strength. I must determine to keep my eyes stayed upon the Lord if I would be kept in perfect peace. And I must decide to pray when I'm tempted to be anxious if I would know the peace that passes understanding. In his book, Ordering Your Private World, which I think maybe be the only book, maybe the only book I've read four times. Gordon MacDonald puts it so well. He says, as Christ pressed stillness into a storm, 
order into the being of a demon-possessed maniac, health into a desperately sick woman, and life into a dead friend. So he seeks to press peace into the harried world of the man or the woman who has been in the marketplace all week. But there is a condition. We must accept the peace as a gift and take the time to receive it. Do you need the rest of knowing your sins are forgiven? The burden of your guilt is lifted. Then come to Jesus in repentance. Come to faith. Once for all, trust the sacrifice he made on the cross. Believe the gospel and be saved. And you will know rest. Or as a believer, a true follower of Jesus, do you need rest right now from the crushing burdens of life? Then respond to Jesus' kind invitation. You come now and each moment choose, determine to throw your cares upon him anytime, every time they threaten to take away your peace, your rest. Begin tonight not only to read, not only to hear the word of God, but to take Jesus at his word. And let me remind you of again his word for today. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thomas Akempis said, grant me, sweet Jesus, to rest in you. Above every creature, above all health and beauty, above all glory and honor, above all power and dignity, above all knowledge and skillfulness, above all riches and arts, above all joy and exultation, above all fame and praise, above all sweetness and consolation, above all hope and promise, above all the gifts you can give. Above all joy the mind is able to receive above everything that you, O oh my God, are not. Grant me, sweet Jesus, to rest in you. Let's bow together. Lord, that is our prayer. We honor and praise and give great thanks to you, Lord Jesus, for in your authority, granting us rest when we come to you. Oh, help us learn to, to make that our first response. When the relentless burdens of life seek to overpower us. Lord, first of all, help us to grow in hope. You know, maybe we feel as though, you know, we, we've tried that before. It hasn't really worked for me. Help us to endure. To endure in trust, to endure in obedience. To grow in the grace that is needed. To rest, not in anything you give, but to rest in you. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. 
for this body of believers that you have sovereignly placed in such a such a strategic and wonderful uh, place, such a significant uh, city, and yet one that brings with it great challenges every day. Young people who are in a, a challenging season of life with you know, some with school, some with work, some with a growing family. Lord, even today, may they each begin to experience a greater measure of the rest that you not only are authorized to give, but you so willingly want to give. And above all, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross that makes this rest a reality. In Jesus' name, amen.